I will say this. We in classic millennial slash late Gen Xer fashion, we subscribe to a toilet paper service called Who Gives a Crap? My name is Tony Vicenda. I live in Philly where I work as a missionary, speaker, and I run a small company called Catholic Bomb Co. My name is Bobby Angel. I'm a teacher, campus minister in California with my wife and crazy children. And even though we do all those things, again, first and foremost, we are sons, husbands, fathers, and brothers. So one of the things Tony and I have been talking about over the last year is how to help men live lives of virtue, follow God's will, and find a brotherhood together. So Bobby and I are taking a few weeks to just sit down and have conversations with some of our favorite people about what we may be missing in the world and the signs of the time and what our virtuous response to them should be. Let's get into it. Hey, Bobby, how's it going? Dude, what the heck happened to the world? We've, uh, uh, I don't know. So I'm back in the garage uh, recording for this. It's been a couple months since Advent, Christmas time, and 2020 seemed like it was going to be rocking. Um, and yet over my right shoulder, I've got a stash of toilet paper on the top of the fridge where it's always been, but never before has it seen like such valuable treasure. Let's, let's just focus on toilet paper for a second. Cause that's what's on everyone's mind right now. That's why they tuned in. Uh, did, did y'all go out and try to like get extra toilet paper when things were going crazy? Or were you just like, forget that noise? No, thanks be to God. We had already gotten some in the house before the world kind of went crazy with hoarding and, and, and ravaging the stores of canned goods and Purell and all this. And so, yeah, again, the first couple months of 2020 seem rocking. And then um, we're recording this near the end of March. And there's been a, this outbreak of this coronavirus. And so I feel like even like looking at some of the emails I sent in early March versus now at the end of the month, it's like, wow, the world, we've landed in a very different place. Yeah. And it's interesting. Like I know what's happening in America and China and in Italy with all this stuff, but I really have very little idea what's happening in the rest of the world, which is kind of a classic Catholic American thing. I feel like China supports enough of our infrastructure that we have to care about it. As a Catholic, you have to care about Italy, but they've also been hit the hardest by this. Um, and in some kind of really inspiring and beautiful ways. Um, before we hop off toilet paper, I will say this. We sub we in classic millennial slash late Gen Xer fashion, because uh, my wife's late Gen X, I'm early millennial. Uh, we subscribe to a toilet paper service called Who Gives a Crap? And I kid you not, like I've reached out to them numerous times for like saying, hey, I'd love to sponsor you, have your sponsorship for content I do. Do you guys do affiliate programs? And they always politely blow me off um, or sometimes a little bit more impolitely. They're like, yeah, we're just not interested. Um, but they do have links uh, that like I can get my, my toilet paper cheaper. So I'm gonna drop that in the show notes. You get cheaper toilet paper, I do. But it's, it's from Bamboo, it's sustainably sourced. Um, I think it's hilarious. The company is called Who Gives a Crap. So we subscribed to toilet paper already. So we just, we didn't have to worry about it uh, either. And so for all you millennials out there who have a subscription service that was already providing you meals or providing you toilet paper or delivering you new toothbrushes or other essentials that everybody who thought was hilarious a year ago, now like for, for those of us who are already doing those things, we feel like we were on the cutting edge because now everything has to be delivered to our homes. So um, that's like a, that's like a Tom Haverford name of a company that shouldn't exist. That should be satire, but it is a real thing. You say, 
It's a real thing. Like I, we will have parties at our house and I will end up talking about who gives a crap for 15 minutes. I care about it and love it that much. Um, th this, this is the coolest is part about it. The this last is not three sponsored by them though. It's not, but I, I will post a link and I will get free <laughs> toilet paper and you will get free toilet paper if you use it, but I will not get paid for it other than in toilet paper, which right now is a commodity. Um, and so <laughs> the last three rolls in a box and the boxes come in like either 24 or 48 or whatever you want to order. The last three rolls are wrapped in golden paper and they're labeled as your emergency rolls. So if you haven't reordered at that point in time, you know, like you've got three rolls left. That's it's awesome. time to reorder, but they had a run. They actually were out. So like they're back in production now, but they were out for the two weeks as people just like slammed them also uh, with orders, especially once the stores like just started going crazy. Um, so yeah. It's been absolutely insane. You guys went to um, you guys went to the Holy Land. Tell us tell us a little bit about the Holy Land. Yeah. So in January we went to the Holy Land with Jeff Cavins and his pilgrimage group, and that was incredible. It is was so worth it to just go with. He's got this. This was his like I can't, I'm sadly I can't remember the number. It's something like the 77th trip he's been on to the Holy Land, like the, the pilgrimage that he's led. And so he takes you on a very intentional route. It's not just sightseeing. You're having mass every day at these churches in these biblical locations. And it's just like, I, I've seen it now. Like, it's real. Like, I think sometimes you grow up with these stories. You hear them year after year. And you hear about Gethsemane. You hear about Galilee. You hear about Capernaum. But to see it, to walk in those territories, to put your hand on these stones where you've got Pontius Pilate's name engraved in the stone, it's like, it's real. It's like on Solo in episode um, seven, where they're like, oh, yeah, the Jedi are made up. It's a myth. Luke Skywalker's a myth. He's like, it's true. It's all true. All of um, it. I love that. And y'all y'all just went as pilgrims. Y'all weren't like part of the tour. Like it was like, no, like your so wife is like A-list famous. Uh, you are like C-list famous. I'm like D or E-list famous in Catholic circles. Uh, y'all the... a feature or just pilgrims? I was the Sherpa. So I was carrying Jackie's guitar everywhere and was there for comedic relief. And so Jackie was actually the, the cantor. So she was singing at all these different sites. And man, again, to be in like, and that's awesome to be in Bethlehem, which is in Palestinian territory. I felt safe the whole time, by the way, there was no, like, we're going to get bombed and there's terrorists everywhere. It's just, you know, people want peace and you've got different political parties pulling at strings and no one's totally innocent and it's complicated over there. But to be in Bethlehem, to be in the church of the, the nativity, and you're allowed to do whatever the readings are for the site. So in Bethlehem, you can do the, the Christmas readings, um, for instance, in Gethsemane, which was, that was a church that rocked me, where Jesus prays the night before he's turned over to his death. Like, that's a beautiful church. You can do the readings from that part in scripture. But Jackie's singing, oh, come all ye faithful in Bethlehem. And everyone is like crying. Like she was just destroying everyone. It was a group of like over a hundred pilgrims and she was destroying them like everywhere we went just with her singing. And again, thanks be to God, we were able to go when we went because globally right now, it's, uh, it's very, very different. Yeah. Now, if, if you had gone later, you maybe wouldn't be able to get home right now. We may, yeah, so. we may not have been able to get home. Uh, that's awesome. I didn't do much in February to early March. I uh, I created a beard-based role-playing game a couple of years ago and I ran a successful Kickstarter for that. So nowhere near as holy certainly fun it was super successful it was a lot of fun uh now i have i don't actually have a lot of extra time right now like i already ran e-commerce and created content so being locked at home doesn't actually like it impacts how much people are buying but it impacts my sense of like 
fiscal stability for my family that we'll be fine for the next couple months. It doesn't change our day to day that much, we realize. Like our kids are home, but we kind of continue to operate in the same vein. Um, and I was like, oh man, I'm gonna have all this extra time now and I can do all these extra things. And I realized that's not true. This is already kind of what my life is like other than our neighboring ministry, which looks very different right now. Uh, and I'll touch on that maybe a little bit in our content pieces, but uh, and then you, you're a teacher, right? So school is, school's done for the year, school's done through a certain point. What's, what are, what's up with that? We don't know. I feel like March 12th is when everything, just the dam broke, where this global situation of this coronavirus went from China to really taking off in Italy and then parts of Europe to hitting the States. Like March 12th was when like the NBA said they were done. The NHL canceled their season or postponed it. MLB postponed uh, Disneyland closed, which for, yeah. you know, Disney lovers is a, like a huge earth shattering thing. And that's when the rumors really started that not just the colleges, but the school, the high schools were also going to follow suit. And so the next day we had an emergency teacher meeting where we essentially we're given a heads up that, yeah, we're, shutting down, we're going online. Thankfully, we had already had like an online structure set up. So it's been a for us pretty easy switchover. It's just all these students, these high school boys who did not sign up for online classes, now have to take all online classes. And some of them are more, you know, they, they fall right into it. It's easy for them. Some of them really need like the in person instruction. Uh, because this total kind of just your home, with the internet is not great in terms of lack of structure or temptation, all the above. We had uh, just switched our kids back into public school from homeschooling as part of our move. They were there for about two months and now they're back home. And our youngest, when we were like, oh, school's going to be delayed even longer because they were originally just on a two week break. She was like, yeah, that's awesome. I don't have to go to school. I was like, yeah, that also means you can't see your friends. She was like, oh, no. <laughs> well, yeah, and the difference too, because right now it's unknown if we're going to get back in late April, right. early May, or if we're going to go back at all for the school year. The freshmen are all happy and you know unaware, just like oblivious, and um, the seniors genuinely frustrated. You know, yeah. because they've you know we just hit the fourth quarter of the school year. You know, they got spring sports going on, all these different activities like grad night and prom. Like they get to be seniors finally, enjoy the last stretch. And now all of a sudden they're homebound with more questions than answers right now. It just kind of takes the air out of their experience. And really like the current senior class, they were born in the wake of 9-11. Mm-hmm. And now they're, they're graduating you know, with this coronavirus. Yeah. Just no, it's crazy. Weird. I know we're going we're gonna to dive into that a little bit more uh, in just a second. Uh, so our virtue this this session, and we're going to kind of look at over the next couple of weeks, kind of a, a little mini series as we kick back into things. We know that when we we pulled the Bearded Virtue Facebook group, a lot of guys just want something in identity. Um, we're actually going to take, I think, some extra time now that um, I do have some extra time. And now that Bobby has um, way more <laughs> extra time than I do, um, not, that it, not that family and other things at home don't matter. Uh, but um, we're just going to look a little bit at starting to prep some of that content out, which we we had not taken the time to do. But right now, we're just going to talk about what's happening in the world, um, not specifically through the lens of coronavirus or you know what's happening culturally. But we are going to look at those things, and uh, God continues to tell His people that as as disciples, we should look at and read the signs of the time. So that's what Bobby and I are going to do over the course of the next few episodes. We're going to invite some other people on uh, to be a part of that conversation 
and to look at what it means to see the signs of our time, the things that are happening in our society, and talk about what it means to be a disciple in this cultural moment. So there will be things that come in from coronavirus, from being at home, from all the changes that have happened, but really more so saying, based on those things, what is that actually telling us about what it means to be a disciple, and what is it maybe highlighting as something that's ordered or disordered within our culture or within ourselves? So that's what we're going to focus on. And today we just want to look at the virtue, um, and and some people would name it as a fruit of the spirit of long suffering. You may be thinking like, what is long suffering? And it really is pretty simple. It means to suffer for a long time. It means to bear an ill patiently. So we might see this as something that sometimes God has said, hey, here's something I want my people to go through and be long suffering to refine them. Other times it might be something that is a harm against us from another person or from the enemy that we have to bear with patiently. Um, And so it's more than just patience. This is classically highlighted in scripture in Job. um, And even in the book of James, it actually names long suffering as the process for helping us be refined and perfected. Um, That holiness isn't accounted to people because of some sort of self-righteousness, but because their ability to long suffer and be refined by God. So we're going to dive into that um, a little bit more today, but we're actually just going to look at some of those signs of our times to start out. And then just as normal, dive into a saint and a couple practical takeaways on how you can live out long suffering in this situation right now, before we dive into some other conversations over the next few episodes. So I know I'd put myself on there, uh, there first, Bobby, I can, I can hit my point first. If you want, I know you were excited to talk about it, or if you want to hit one of yours, I know we were just talking about kind of the seniors and their inability to kind of experience some of their end of the year. What do you want? Where do you want to go? Yeah, I just odd to round that off. That's a big cross that they're having to carry right now that that of of the unknown, the suffering. Is this going to be two more weeks? Is it going to be the rest of the school year? Am I even going to get to walk at graduation? What's the state going to allow or not allow? What's the what's the wise thing to do right now or not? There's so many unknowns. So the long suffering of not knowing what's next, what was known and expected is now all of a sudden up in the air. And, you know, the silver lining there is it's a new reliance on God. It's a new way. Of, if you look at it that way, you can look at it as how poor you, how inconvenienced are you, et cetera. Or again, where is God moving in this situation here? We've gotten so comfortable, um, I think, especially in the West, again, with just like you were alluding to earlier about the delivery services that, you know, our supplies are always available to us. We're not genuinely worried about supply lines drying up. But then you see the fear come in when you realize, oh, maybe that is so, you know, in God, I trust and Target, and Amazon, and Walmart, like, <laughs> you know, and when those things are threatened, we go into hoarding mode. You see kind of the, the worst and the best of humanity in times like these, pairing those inconveniences with the fact that people are truly dying. People are truly having um, painful deaths at the hands of this virus, that you've got yeah. healthcare workers working around the clock to try and stem this thing off, and politicians, you know, kind of getting in the way of any kind of fruitful conversation and whatnot. And that's a whole nother thing. But um, I just wanted to to talk about like the anthropological, again, viewing how we're dealing with this as human persons, because we're made for communion, we're made for community. And in times like this, we want to go to church. We want to be around people physically, our family, our friends, we want to come together. And we're told not to do any of that. We mm-hmm. can't go to church. We can't be physically embracing one another. We, you know, we're not supposed to be uh, in community. It just goes against everything that makes us 
healthy in a human perspective, you know, perspective. And I think people are, you know, it's only been like two weeks since the schools have shut down and only like a week since businesses have largely been told. But you see people getting antsy. You see people getting restless because this is not what we're made for. Thank God for the internet and the ability to connect and still continue certain businesses and relationships. But it's not the same as sitting in a living room with a friend, um, teaching in a classroom face-to-face. And so you see kind of the people hungry for genuine human interaction, not just through a screen, but person to person. And I think on the note, Tony, you're going to bring up too of like the church, like, yeah, the church is more than just a building. It's more than just the structure. It's us as a people, but you see kind of like we've gotten so comfortable and expecting the sacraments on demand, at least here in the West, that they're taken away from us. And the reactions to that vary from person to person. Yeah. The big thing that stood out to me, you know, immediately was the, and in a lot of ways, like it's really heartening, like that people care and that people desire the sacraments. Um, But it's the selfish demand for the sacraments when I want them in a way that doesn't inconvenience me. And in my preferred way of receiving them, Mm. it's really hard for me to process through with a lot of other Catholics right now. And it is oftentimes people who, who, in honesty, tend towards the more traditional end or the more hyper-progressive end. Moderate Catholics, for the most part, as far as people who have a, a, a preference, um, are kind of like, hey, here's the reality right now. And right. and we're yeah. trying to navigate that as best we can. And like, there's a part of me that's like, I, I know my pastor well enough to walk down with a pix and be like, I would like six hosts for my family this Sunday and know that he would probably give that to me. And there's a big part of me that like is really tempted for that. As a matter of fact, on Easter, like I may try to do that, but the reality is he might just say no. And I would, I would be okay with that. Like as much as I desire my family to be able to receive, um, you know, this is a very different situation than it would stretch the norms. And if he was just like, no, I'd be like, I mean, I, I can't force you to give it to me. So I'm not going to like break into the church to steal it. Um, but a lot of people who have, you know, who tend to polarize towards one side or the other, um, oftentimes are very upset right now because they can't just get the sacrament the way they want it. This it manifests itself and saying like, well, they're doing these drive through confessions, but I like to go behind the screen and it's not fair that I, you know, that I have to go face to face. Or, you know, if I have to make a phone call to schedule confession, how is that anonymous? It's anonymous like this. Hi, my name is nothing because I don't want to tell you because I want to do confession anonymously. Um, and I have the canonical right to that. I would like to schedule a time where the priest can be in the confessional and I can come in without telling you who I am in order to be able to do reconciliation, leave, and then not be known because that is a canonical right that I have as a Catholic. And if they say, well, you know, the priest handles his own schedule, too, that's fine. I would like to set up a time to call back where I can speak with them to schedule that time. You may have to make two or three phone calls to get through that process, but there are people in the world right now who cannot access the sacraments, period. And whether that's because they're vulnerable and they're in a hospital and they may be barred from having priests come to them to deliver, you know, uh, uh, extreme unction or the or last rites, or maybe because they live in the middle of Africa and there's one pastor serving 23 substations. So basically one priest managing a diocese worth of geographic space and that they may only get offered the sacrament once or twice a year unless they decide to walk two to three days worth of on foot travel in order to go to the primary parish head to be able to receive the sacrament. Those are realities that exist in our world today 
that people are really going through. And so if you have a preference for liturgy, whatever that preference is, you have to realize that throughout the, the course of Christian history, this has not been the case. It has not been the case like in the modern American framework or the modern Western framework where there is easy to access daily mass, mass on Sunday, confession when you want it. And we have the ability more so even than a lot of people in other parts of the world to still access those things when we need them. Even with the shutdown of public masses, we have more access to those things than some people in other parts of the world do. And it's really hard for me to see that kind of modernist mindset because that's really what it is. It's a modernist perspective on I need the sacraments. And it's an abandonment of understanding that the sacraments are spiritual medicine for the sick. They are there to fill us with the grace we need. They are guaranteed encounters with Christ, but they don't replace the formation of our own interior life, and they don't replace our personal prayer and our personal prayer life. They are the fullest incarnation of that, and they are the thing that feeds and informs all that, but there is not a requirement if you have not had the sacrament within a month that all of a sudden you can no longer pray, or you can no longer experience spiritual communion with God, or you can no longer grow in your faith, and we should be taking this on as a sacrifice for our own redemption and the redemption of others right now, and not just sitting there complaining about what we are not going to have that oftentimes other people wouldn't. Does that make sense at all? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> I got to do a mission uh, trip. I was there eight weeks, eight or 10 weeks with Catholic Relief Services in Sierra Leone. Um, my second and the third year of seminary. So I got to go and see like very much these priests that have eight to 10 different, yeah, parish stations and to drive around the bush with him in this like old truck, no paved roads. And like these people only get communion once every month or two months. And people will walk for miles to get to mass. And they're not looking for a short 30 minute mass. They're not looking at their clock like, father, it's been a half an hour. No. Like, they're there like the Sabbath is the Sabbath. They take the whole day to pray and have a, you know, the priest tried to rush mass one time and it was like over two hours, his trying to rush, like the mass was, right. Uh, you know, they take the day to be with each other and family and, and rest. And um, like, again, that spirit of like gratitude, like you're not owed the sacraments, like we're not owed this gratuitous gift of God. And we get so comfortable again. Like we get the sacrifice. <laughs> yeah, we get it and be thankful. And I think, again, we have stuff shipped to our doorstep within two days or faster. And so we get used to that. And I can go to mass whenever I want. I can um, go to confession really like with such ease. When that's taken away, we either wake up to that and are just so grateful to have it when we do. Or we get, you know, uh, kind of bitter. Like you see people feel that like mm -hmm. that entitlement creep out. There's a justice, like we want churches open when like right. Pornhub is offering free subscription and churches are closed, you know, right. that's, that's not great. But I think that's where, again, it's God is bigger than what's going on right now. And again, to appreciate the Eucharist, to appreciate confession. This doesn't make you want when all this is over to go back to mass gratefully and with gratitude to whatever type of mass that is, it's offered to you. If it doesn't make you rush to the sacrament of reconciliation, whenever it's offered for you at this point in time, like when all this is done or when the opportunities come up within this entire thing, if it doesn't make you have more gratitude that then you're approaching this wrong, like right. as much as everyone's complaining right now, I'm curious if we're just going to see business as usual 
after all this is done, like, oh, great, we can go to mass again. But I, you know, now that I can, <laughs> I, I could see that, you know, I could see too, um, kind of in this spiritual, but not religious age, this relaxing of not relaxing, but again, like the, the fact that we need to go to mass on Sundays has been, uh, we've been dispensed from that. Like when the, when this, when we resume, when the bishops remove that, who's going to be lost? That's right. what I, I was thinking about too. Like there are those that are going to be like a daily mass the first day we're allowed to go back. You know, that hunger is there. Um, but then also who's going to, who's been looking for an exit anyway and sees this as, oh, cool. I don't have to go to mass anymore. And just going to keep riding that wave. I think those, again, those are the people that haven't fallen in love with God anyway, that we need to be mindful right. of, that we need to be reaching out to. I think one of the things about this kind of quarantine isolation is, you know, it, it's raising up that memento mori. Hey, we could die. When you see celebrities or people of prominence get uh, test positive, there's this sense of like, oh no, like this person of high value, perceived high value, you know, if, if they go, then now we'll take it seriously. Yeah, it, when Tom Hanks and his wife came down with it, it was like, like Tom Hanks is a national treasure. Like all humanity loves him. He can't possibly die. Like there was immediate real concern for a lot of people when he and his wife, but there's a priest who recently gave his life so that somebody else could have his respirator. Like they were both sick with the virus and he died because he gave up his respirator for somebody else in order to be able to live. And like, though like that has come across my feet it's been in a much lower number even in the catholic side of things like it's absolutely crazy if i can find a link to that that story i'm going to i'll link it down in the show notes and that's what i mean that's what i mean about um you see the worst and the best of humanity come out in times like these is you do see those willing to lay down their life even physically like truly like lay down their life so that others may live this is when we need saints more than ever to be creative, to use the tools we have to continue to reach out to people, to say it, to remind again, memento mori, like, hey, this life isn't it. It isn't the end all be all. God is real. God has promised us something more. And people, I see people wrestling with the big stuff that they won't wrestle with these big questions of life and eternity until something like this happens. Mm -hmm. So you know, praise be to God for those moments. And, and we hope that we have the courage to start those conversations or to reach out, to not be afraid of sharing links and sharing a live stream mass of evangelizing, not to just hunker down and stay in a Catholic bubble and wait till this thing passes over. Right. And, and again, learning how to receive, like, this is something that even as I'm thinking about, like the conversation I want to have around identity, like, and as I, as I look at the conversations I've had this week that have been really fruitful yesterday, I just hopped in to the bearded virtue group and just to pray with people, people were like, we're, we're worried, we're afraid. Um, we're having a hard time right now. Could you hop in, maybe give us a good word. And you know, at that point I was like, I don't have one right now, but tomorrow I'll, I'll hop on, I'll pray about it tonight. You know, what I want to receiving our identity, understanding that God loves us and is sustaining us and receiving that with gratitude, even in the middle of a hard situation or like this right now, that receptivity is a big part of what makes long suffering actually effective and not just a self abuse. Like there is a difference between I'm just going to let myself be treated horribly and I'm going to experience the fruit of long suffering in my own spiritual life. And so you've got to, you've got to kind of ride the line between those things. But the more we can receive this openly and with gratitude, I think the more we're going to see that fruit manifest in our life and in the life of the church. So that as we come out on the other side of this, 
will be able to actually recapitalize quickly on all the good things that have come up from this, having great conversations and being able to bring people into a deeper encounter with Christ, unlike right now or previously where everybody was living in a situation where they were so comfortable that all those things were were muted and hard to do. Uh, Bobby, I know you want to talk about kind of the situation of the global economy versus the value of human life. Let's talk about that a little more. Yeah, and I don't have a whole lot of wisdom to share on this. It's just more, again, you said like the signs of the times and observing. Um, obviously, there's an antsiness about the economy. We can't live under these situations forever. There's a lot of people who are getting furloughed, losing their jobs. Um, even I, in the, the school I work, we've got people who work in the uh, airline industry that are getting slammed right now. Mm-hmm. You know, they may not be able to afford Catholic education in the future. So, like, there's long-term effects of this stuff. And I know church employees, different youth ministers who are fearful because if people aren't going and tithing, then they're usually the first to lose their jobs. Yeah. So, it's, you know, economically, we can't live under these the situation of lockdown and fear forever. And there's this tension right now between wanting to restart businesses and allow people to live versus what's the best thing for our hospital systems, what's the best thing for human life. So I don't really have any like deep wisdom on this. I'm just more observing the conversation as it heats up. Um, what's the, the right, the ethical thing to do in all this? And this is a time where because of what we're going through, you're going to see clarity. If you've ever wondered when someone says, oh, I really value human life. Right. um, It's not just politically, though. Politicians are are some of the first people who come to mind. Uh, Their behavior during this time is going to tell us a lot about their actual values. And it's hard because some of these things are massively complex. And no one individual is made up of just one influence or thing like the concept of intersectionality what what historically in the church would have just been understood as the integrated reality of a human being but is oftentimes being co-opted by by modern feminist conversations intersectionality impacts all of us like when we're integrated people that does mean there are numerous things that pull on us there are a lot of tensions right and intemperance and prudence are two virtues that actually help us navigate that process um, and pull us closer to god but everybody is is influenced by numerous different things. So just because somebody has a perspective, that's not the end-all be-all, but pay attention as a disciple to what our leaders are saying, to what those around you are saying, um, and let let the best voices speak into you right now. Um, you know, the reality is the church values life very highly, but the reality, the other thing is we have martyrs. We have people who have sacrificed their life by a choice to serve and be devoted to God. And we value that. We don't say, oh, they sacrificed their life. They obviously don't love life. We understand that the goodness of free will to serve God and the search for holiness and the ability to suffer on behalf of others does supersede oftentimes some choices around life, but only for the individual. We don't communally get to make those choices for other people. And that's where a lot of the tension you're going to see us experiencing in the world right now comes from is people wanting to say that group over there should suffer, but we shouldn't have to. And that for me is where kind of the rubber hits the road. Um, I want to see people who are willing to say, I am willing to suffer on behalf of others to improve this situation. And again, that was, we go back to and kind of touch base on long suffering. That's a huge part of that. Am I willing to suffer for the good of another? Am I willing to take something that maybe I'm not even owed or maybe is a completely faceless thing like a virus that is disrupting my life? And am I willing to offer that suffering up that I'm receiving because of that for the redemption 
of others for the redemption of mankind and uniting our, our prayers and our spiritual life with the saints is a huge, huge part of that. Bobby, right now, who are, who are people who you're looking at in your life that you just think, man, I, and not from a jealous standpoint, like that's not, I don't want to necessarily hit on that, but this is something I've been talking about a lot this week where you look at their life and you with, with full charity think, I wish I had something that that person has in my life. Who are, who are some of those people for you? Like somebody who you look at in all charity and just think, I am always amazed by this person's prayer life. The fact that they are so financially responsible, the fact that they're so creative, or there, there are a couple of people you can think of who you wish you had some ability of the skill that they have in a certain area. A, a couple examples, I guess. And I, I, I hate to jump to the saints, but I, they're real human persons. So, um, yeah. you know, John Paul II, I was rereading a book, John Paul the Great, that Jason Everett wrote. And this is one of those punch in the gut in terms of its clarity and brevity and just it's all firsthand accounts of his life and how devoted he was to prayer, how much he prioritized prayer and how, you know, as a theology teacher, as a campus minister, how, you know, when life gets going, prayer, how, how easy it is that prayer is the first thing that gets dropped. And then you wonder why you're spinning your wheels and your ministry doesn't seem effective. I read the book and how devoted he was to time and adoration, how he would get up early, how he would just spend time in wordless uh, adoration of the Lord. I think two of a Maximilian Colby who just spent himself for the gospel to the point of really like not caring about his body. Like, again, we're so, we want the right vitamins and we want the right fitness level and all this. And, and he went to, again, live in harsh climates the from Poland to Japan and in between of just not eating much, of always teaching, of using his creative gifts. Like how often, again, am I self uh, guess, second guessing, doubting myself, not wanting to put myself all out there. And I read about what Maximilian Colby did. And there was none of that. He was so in love with the Lord. There was no saving anything for himself. He would give like if someone donated some food to his friary, and there were 30 guys, he would make sure that food was split 30 ways. There was mm -hmm. no I'm the head, I get the biggest piece of the cake. It's everyone gets to eat first. I'm the last one there. And then the last like living example I'll say is uh, Dr. Andrew Swafford, who I've been blessed to have a friendship uh, that's developed over the years. It's Sarah Swafford's husband. He teaches at Benedictine College. He's been doing some Bible studies with Jeff Cavins with Ascension, but is just an amazing dad. Um, and one of his prayers that has always stuck with me, we did a men's talk together to a group of high schoolers. And he said, one of his prayers he goes back to is, Lord, help me to be the man that other people think that I am. And mm. to this day, I, I pray that sometimes if I'm frustrated, if I'm being tempted, if, um, you know, my kids are just pushing all the right buttons, like, Lord, help me to be the man that other people think that I am. Like, I really want to give into my weakness right now, to my laziness, to my lust, but help me to be above that. Help me to be the man you're calling me to be. So those are the three men that come to mind that I will lean on that will push me to always take one more step when I don't want to. Yeah. And I think, I think for me, the reason that conversation is so important, I um, mean, this came to me yesterday with somebody who they, they are somebody who I love, who every time their ministry work comes up, I'm never angry. I'm not upset. I'm not jealous, but like, I always feel like I don't get it. Like, you know, um, I don't, I don't understand why everyone's so excited about it sometime. And the reality is like my simple prayer was like, God, I know that my lack of certainty about that 
Like, and, and the fact that I know they're doing amazing work, but I don't always see why people are excited about them. Or, or sometimes even when I fall into jealousy of like, I wish I was like that person. I wish I was like somebody else. Or even when I just admire somebody, I'm really trying to take during this time, especially when we're seeing an increase in the amount of online presence that everyone has to say, God, when I notice something like that, whether my response is ordered, um, neutral, like, or just confused or uncertain, or when it's disordered. Let me receive that more as a prompting from you to see that person through your eyes and figure out what it is about their life that I am supposed to receive. Um, and I think right now, especially when people are out there, maybe you're struggling because you don't know what your job is like and you're jealous of people who have been able to keep their job. Or you see people out there who are using this as a time to grow in prayer and you're just like, I don't know how to do that. Like, I am uncertain of how to do that. Whatever the situation may be, whatever the 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 disconnect may be, or maybe it's just like, I, I love that, I want that. Um, and like you were saying, Bobby, like people see me that way, but I don't necessarily see myself and I want to rise to that. To take that as a prompting from God to rise up to be that person, like to rise up to take notice of what's happening around you, to to say, how can I give that? I see that person's generosity. I wish I could be generous like that, but I don't have their resources. Great. God isn't calling you to have their resources. God is calling you to look at your resources and be generous in the way that they are and the way that Christ models for us and the way that the saints demonstrate through their lives um, in our own specific, unique way and genius. And so I think for me, the last kind of point was just looking at our brothers, right? And sisters and saying, when I experience jealousy, when I experience uncertainty, when I experience a desire, a good, holy desire to be like that person in charity, how am I responding to that? And how am I starting to integrate that into my own life? Not in a way that imitates them, but in a way that makes me the person other people see me to be. And that obviously in my heart, I desire uh, to be. So Bobby, we're talking about um, our saint of the week as we kind of close things out um, before our kind of practical takeaways. Tell us a little bit about um, St. Peregrine, which I always want to pronounce Perjurine, but it's not. Not at it's all. It's Peregrine. So yeah. I'm I called them Perjurine Falcons forever when I was a child. Oh, well, that's, that's, not, that's not the word. It's okay. <laughs> It's okay. We forgive you. Uh, so this is cool because, again, I work at an all-boys high school that's named after the Servite Order, the Seven Holy Founders. Um, and St. Peregrine is one of their most famous saints that come out of the order. So they, again, the order arose in the, in the th 13th century, 1223, around the same time as St. Dominic and St. Francis were doing their thing. It was really a time where the Holy Spirit was moving in the church um, through these orders. Now, St. Peregrine was a man who felt the call of the priesthood, joined the order. It was said that he never sat down for 30 years, whenever possible, so that he would always be in solitude and prayer and offer up that long suffering to God, where most of us are trying to find the couch at the first moment. St. Peregrine was the first to like, no, I'm always going to be standing for the Lord. That was his discipline he felt called to. Um, he would was a great preacher and a, a steadfast confessor. Um, eventually developed cancer in one of his legs, in his foot, up his leg, probably from being so harsh on his body. And so he was being told that he was going to need that amputated. Um, the night before, he spent the whole night in prayer. And the following morning, the cancer was completely gone. And to this day, he is known as the patron saint of those with cancer. And so, again, all those suffering right now from disease and this virus, we really want to invoke St. Peregrine's intercession upon all those who are, you know, afflicted with leukemia or cancer of any kind. Um, St. Peregrine is a powerful intercessor to our Lord for healing.
Awesome. Yeah. I, when I picked it, I actually didn't know that you guys uh, had a Servite history uh, for your school. And it was cool to come back to the, our, we, we create a little like Google Word document to help plan things out uh, and see that you had already like gone through and like put everything in about it. And I was like, oh, sweet. I'm glad I picked the St. Bobby knew, <laughs> knew a lot about. Uh, it took some of it off me, but I was, uh, I loved also his conversion story. Um, so he, uh, he actually attacked along with some other uh, young men, St. Philip, who was the founder of the Servites um, when he was young. And there's a couple different versions of the story. Some of them are much more violent, like there's clubs and stones and other stuff like that. Sweet. Um, but at, at one point, uh, he he smacks or hits um, St. Philip across the face. And uh, St. Philip just merely offers the other cheek. So when you want to talk about um, saints that in incarnate long suffering, he had this moment of offering su suffering to somebody else who gratefully received that suffering that caused his heart to soften and created a deeper encounter with Christ, which I think is a great, great witness of how he was led into encounter. And then that, that desire to stand whenever possible for 30 years, that giving up of something so simple um, I think it's such a huge thing and such an amazing witness during this time where small things have been taken out and we have the ability to replace them with charitable giving of self for others and for the building up of God's kingdom, even if we're stuck indoors um, a lot of the time right now. So uh, I thought it was just uh, such a great one. I love that uh, you had that that kind of personal connection through uh, your school with him also too. Um, we're going to be right back after this with this kind of three practical takeaways on how you can live out long suffering in your life. Hey, y'all, this is Tony from Catholic Balm Co. and Bearded Virtue. I wanted to take just a minute to thank you for listening. Um, Bobby and I are able to do these um, irregularly historically. A big part of that is there is actually a cost associated with uh, putting out any podcast. Uh, I don't I do not do all the editing myself. We have an amazing editor, Taylor, who does that. I like to be able to pay him. And normally Catholic Balm Co. can help cover the cost for all of that. Uh, because of what's going on in the world right now, if you're able to support local businesses or online businesses like Catholic Balm Co. that you care about. It's incredibly helpful, not just for my family or other or other local families in your neighborhood, but for our, our world right now that we can kind of keep the economy on track as much as possible. So we're going to put out as many episodes as we can uh, during this time. I'm, I'm committed to that and I want to keep on doing them and having that conversation. If you go and buy something at Catholic Bomb Co, it helps support that. Or if you want to give directly to helping do this, you can give to our, our missionary organization, our household, House of Broken Loaves. So you can go to Catholic Bomb Dot co and you can use the code keep it clean uh, because we all are very hygiene focused right now to buy lotion bars to keep your hands moisturized during this time of extra washing or beard balm or oils to help keep your beard clean and if you miss what church smells like because we haven't been there in a while it's a great reminding of all the sacramental graces that we receive through our baptism that we are called to live out in the world so that's catholicbalm.co or brokenloaves.house are the two different ways you can contribute to this, but we're committed to keeping as much of our content going out as possible, especially during these times to bring you great conversations. We hope this is a blessing. We look forward to chatting with you more in the future. All right, Bobby, now that I have sold everybody on how important both bearded virtue uh, and extolled the virtues of, uh, of beard balm <laughs> and creative Catholic content in our times is, uh, what are, let's, let's kind of dive into our takeaways. Um, I think for me, the number one thing I want people to think about as we look at long suffering is what's one simple comfort that you can abandon right now. And I know we've all already abandoned a lot, 
But I know you probably have that that sweet comfort, that thing that you know would be really hard for you to give up. Maybe it's it's you know you drink three cups of coffee every day. Do you want to cut back to one or none? Maybe it's the fact um, that you don't usually prep meals in your household. Usually, other people do that. Maybe it's something like you know Saint uh, Saint Peregrine did of just sitting down more than you need to right now. Spending time getting out and being active in the world, taking a walk, staying at least six feet away from everybody, but exercising is still allowed almost everywhere. What's the one place you need to challenge your own comfort right now, even in a time like this, to continue to grow in holiness and to continue to embrace uh, long suffering? I want you to think about that. I want you to commit to it. We'll put a post out in the Beard of Virtues Facebook community next week uh, to let people share about this also. Yeah, I would add too that um, we don't always get to choose our life circumstances, but we can choose how we respond to them. And I think an amazing, uh, again, short read, a punch in the gut, uh, is Man's Search for Meeting by Viktor Frankl. And it's an amazing book of this Holocaust survivor. Um, He was a psychiatrist from Austria. He was Jewish. He was thrown into Auschwitz. He made it out. And it's the first part of the book is his detailing of that. And Again, if, if you're ever tempted to think, woe is me, just read this book. Just open this book, mm-hmm. let it punch you in the face, and realize that, um, yeah, this life is full of, of tragedy and sin and horrible things, but we always choose how we respond to it. We either say, woe is me, um, we either give in to our selfishness, our lust, our sloth, or again, we fight it. We, we stand like St. Peregrine. We use our creative energies for good, like St. Maximilian Colby. Um, we devote time and this abundance of time some of us have now to prayer, to not waste it. Again, we don't want to look back on this time and, and at the um, inconveniences of it and the frustrations, sure. But we also don't want to look back on it and be like, wow, I had an abundance of time to pray and I didn't do it. To so be challenged by that. Yeah, somebody posted a meme out the other day that was like, I've always been saying I don't have enough time to clean my house for the last, you know, three years, uh, but now I have plenty of time and it's still not clean. So I guess that wasn't the case. I think it's the same thing with cleaning up our spiritual houses and our prayer lives specifically. We always want to say, if only I had more time, if only I had more time, and if only I had more time. And right now, you have time. Um, and maybe you don't know what what prayer looks like. We can do a couple episodes uh, on that conversation specifically. There are lots of different ways to pray. Knowing what your prayer is and what is most spiritually fulfilling and effective for you as a disciple is a huge conversation that you need to have. Not everybody prays the same way, but diving into that is huge. And then I would encourage you, read the book of Job. Most of us are generally familiar with the story of Job, but Job is named as the epitome of long suffering in scripture. Now he is um, he is a, a fictional character. We we don't actually, uh, we know for a fact that the book of Job at, at best is historical fiction. If there was somebody named Job, if stuff like that happened to him, we don't know, but it is in scripture. That means that there is a truth in it, regardless of whether it literally and factually happened or not. But I want you to look at two things. I want you to look at, as you go through that, the interaction between God and the devil, because I think it helps order our understanding of the way that God and Satan interact with each other, um, and 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 the fact that God is sovereign in the world, which I think is something we could all need to remember right now, especially. But I also want you to pay close attention to Job's interactions with his friends, Um, the conversations that he has with them, the dialogues that he has with them, their response um, and their criticisms of him 
and his patience and his long suffering and his willingness to receive what God has given him. I think that none of us are being asked to sacrifice in the same way that Job was right now, though it can feel a lot like that for some of us. And so being able to look at his heart and take into account those stories and fill our mind with that narrative and the truth of God that's present in his word, I think is huge right now. So those are our three practical uh, takeaways. So over the next couple of weeks, again, we're going to just start uh, bringing in some friends, having conversations with them, looking at signs of the time. The big question we're going to be tackling right now is what are we missing? Like what is not just what is happening, but what are we supposed to have our attention drawn to in this conversation, in this time, because as disciples were called to read the signs of the times more closely and how can we live virtue in that. Um, I'm hoping we're going to bring in some great uh, friends, uh, people like John Leidecker to talk about the interior life, Michael Gormley, who's so hard to schedule, but right now, you know, Gilmer can't go anywhere and do all the speaking that he does. So I'm going to try to get him on. Uh, Taylor Scholl, who does our editing, but who is a phenomenal speaker in his own right, along with other amazing Catholic um, men to just kind of talk about what they're seeing in the world right now and how we can live virtue into that. Bobby, who are a couple people you may want to uh, have on or bring into the conversation? Those three. Yeah. <laughs> and we're going to... And we're gonna brain we're gonna brainstorm too, so we get some men off the beaten path who've got equal wisdom, have got other testimonies to share with us, um, so we can all pr- keep propelling each other forward in these strange times. Awesome, Bobby. Where can people find you online? Because that's where we all live now. I, yeah, it's where we all literally live. Apparently, the on the internet. So um, YouTube on Ascension presents. My wife, Jackie, and I have videos once a week. We also have a website, JackieAndBobby.com, or I'm on Instagram, Bobby.Angel. Awesome. Uh, for me, you can find me at TonyVicinda.com. If you search Tony Vicinda, I am the only Tony Vicinda in the world. It's part of uh, the great reality of being a Eastern European immigrant within the last three year generations uh, is that your name still gets all kinds of jacked up and there's not a ton of you. Tony Vicinda, you search it on any platform, you'll find me typically at Tony Vicinda, where that is possible, catholicbomb.co, uh, or if you want to check out the neighboring work that we're doing, even in the middle of all this insanity, as we continue to press forward, uh, our household here in Philly is dedicated to being good news in our neighborhood, even when we can't walk out and shake hands with our neighbors. You can find that at brokenloaves.house for more stories there. Uh, but until next time, gentlemen, I want to encourage you, stop shaving and start praying. We'll see you soon. <laughs>